0: Outsider Thread is recorded on the unceded territory of the Wurundjeri people of the Eastern Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I broadcast from. I recognise their ongoing legacy and connection to land, waters and culture. I pay respect to their elders, past and present. I extend this respect to all other First Nations people of this continent, whose stolen land our infrastructure and digital connectivity is built upon. <coughs> Hey, I'm Darcy and you're listening to Outsider Thread. For this week's episode, I sit down with Georgia Trelaw. Georgia is a senior graphic designer at Untitled Group and a good friend of mine, who I met last year when I may or may not have gatecrashed the Untitled Christmas party. It was a privilege to sit down with her and map out her journey, which began with a rural upbringing in the Pilbara region of Western Australia and has culminated in her current role shaping art direction for the independent music and events group Untitled, a titan of Australia's entertainment industry. Hi Georgia, how Hi. are you going?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Wrapping another day in the office with a day at the radio station. It's going good. I know, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, it's good to be here in this gorgeous, gorgeous building. As I know, well. it's
0: very impressive, very um magnanimous quarters. Really, from- truly. Yeah.
1: I was uh, my like it exceeded my expectations for sure. It's like truly stunning.
0: Glad to hear it. Um, how was your work day today?
1: It was good. It was busy. Lots of, um, doing a lot of like illustrative work at the moment, which is actually my favorite stage of a project. Um, with a lot of the projects I'm doing right now, we, we only really have one that focuses on illustration and it's probably my favorite field of design and the one I feel like most comfortable in. So it's nice to sort of hone into that right now. And, And, yeah, bring in some, like, motion design as well, which is really exciting.
0: Cool, cool. So, illustration. Can you tell me exactly what it is you do, what your job title is, and what you do in the role?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, at the moment, I'm the senior designer at Untitled Group, which, if anyone doesn't know, it's the biggest um, independent Australian events and promoter which yeah it's a very very cool place to be so I pretty much head up all of the um all of the art direction and a lot of the creative output there as well so we which can look like you know festival brands with all their merchandising and event flyers and posters and then we've also got like a club as well so doing all the club flyers and then the brand itself so like our our brand and how we communicate with our with our audience and our users and all the things that come attached to that. So it's quite a big beast. There's Mm. a lot of things happening at the moment, which is super exciting.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm continuously just realising how humongous Untitled is. I don't know if I'm, like, silly, but I didn't even realise until a couple of weeks ago that Untitled owned XE. So Yeah, 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 that's
1: the club. And so, yeah, it really ties into a lot of our events. So, for example, with Pitch Music and Arts, we bring through a lot of those artists through our club XE and it becomes, like, a wider tour as well, Mm. which I'm also learning
0: Yeah, you're learning to book artists or...
1: No, like just learning how it all works... As in, like, when you book an artist, it's not like, hey, you just come play at our festival. There's sort of this wider offering of, like, come play at our festival and then play a show at this club and then we'll collaborate with this other festival and create, like, a wider tour, which I didn't really knew that's how it'll work. Yeah. Thought, like, yeah.
0: True. It's interesting to hear that because I guess um, I was just hearing from someone else who worked for Untitled the other day, just, like, with booking artists, you kind of have to entice them a bit. Mm. Um, and it's so it's interesting to hear that. I guess it's kind of like you're not just offering them a job, you're actually building, like... A whole kind of family of revenue for them by
1: yeah. doing
0: that. Yeah. Absolutely,
1: and that's not something that's very much a part of my role, but it's definitely something that I'm uh, like I'm learning about because I have to help sell that package to them, mm. particularly with a festival brand and like the creative. You know, if they're particularly if they're a headliner and their name's on it, you know, they want to know what it looks like, mm. they want to know how it feels, and if it's something that they want to align with, uh, which is you know, it's, it's so cool, but there's also a lot of pressure there as well because. It needs to have this – it needs to align with your brand but also your audience and then have that kind of eclectic sense to it.
0: And be something that they would want to be associated with.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, interesting. I feel like um, the more I learn about Untitled, the more I get this kind of theme of like vertical integration Mm. in the company because it's obviously they – you know, own XE. they own festivals. They also have started a vodka brand so they yes. can sell their own things in-house. We, did they always own XC? Because I remember that I, like, had heard of XC when I first moved to Melbourne four mm-hmm. years ago.
1: I, I'm not, I feel like they did kick up the first, sorry, kick up the, the club. I think they did start it. I've only started working there for the past, like, two and a half years going on three years so I still feel very new to the company and I'm learning about its history and our brands and and you know if they were there at the genesis or if they bought them from other people I'm quite certain though that they started the club it feels like very old and Untitled's history mm. um yeah I actually admittedly have not been which is shocking and I need to go oh uh, yeah
0: it's well it's funny because it's kind of like a mobile club it's like it's a yes. concept rather than a club itself yeah
1: um, and it's just moved as well to I Bourke saw Street.
0: yeah well I'm glad that they moved to be honest because I had I've been to XC once before and it is the most that old place is the most haunted <laughs> green room I've ever been to in my whole life it was kind of like an under it looked like an underground Westfield. Really? Bin area or something like that (laughs) except everyone's just like Artists. It was it was just like a funny vibe. But okay, a bit of a yeah. cursed
1: little green room. I know.
0: Well we'll see. We'll see about Berk Street Courtyard. Um, yeah,
1: you have to check it out. I will, I will, I'm very adamant on going because I, I have this shame. It's almost secret. I feel really exposed right now that um <laughs> everyone who listens to it, they're gonna know I never went to XC. Oh
0: my god. But yeah. I will
1: I will definitely um be hitting up the new club. It's it's exciting, it's it's a new change and well we
0: can go. Yeah, let's
1: go. Yeah, Absolutely. I love a night out with you. It's mm, always very always fun. fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um well I guess I'll go back a bit. So you've been working for Untitled in a graphic design capacity now. Mm. Can you tell me, I guess, from the start, because mm. now it's this is always my favourite bit when I get a friend on and I get to learn more about them. Can you tell me how where you grew up, first of all, and the pathway that led you into doing what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm a bit of a country bumpkin. I grew up in the Pilbara in Karatha, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It's in western the north of Western Australia, ah. uh, which is like a booming red dirt mining town. It's much of it's a, essentially a city now. When I lived there, it was a very very small place.
0: Pilbara region. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and so I, yeah, I grew up there till the age of nine, and I had a very um. I guess, like, my my childhood was very wild. Like, we were always out in the country. I rarely, rarely went to the city. In fact, every time, on the rare occasion we would go to the city, my sister and I always thought it was Christmas because we'd never seen traffic lights. Mm. So whenever we would stop at a traffic light, we would think that it was, like, Christmas Eve or something. My parents would be like fuck's sake now we have to tell them that they're not getting any gifts tomorrow um so that was like very much my experience up until nine and then i moved all the way to the southwest of western australia to bustleton which is such a different vibe it's like a coastal surfy town um, and did all my high school there, and again, still like big country vibes, um, and like quite from like a sort of cultural, multicultural experience. Like I felt like it was very white and very mm, sheltered.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: like not not as multicultural. Whereas like when I was growing up in the Pilbara, I felt very connected to my First Nations community, and it was such a stark difference moving all the way down to the south. And going to school, and you know, asking that question like, where are all like the Indigenous kids? Like, where what has happened? And mm. then finding out the history of the Southwest and how it was very, um, kind of drenched in you know this really traumatic history and 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 massacres and and learning about that and realizing how deeply fortunate I was to be connected to that kind of community when I was so young and mm. it's something that I like seek out a lot more now in um you know, in my adult life, realizing that I spent a lot of time in an area where I felt very isolated from that culturally.
0: Mm. Yeah. And finding out the history of Southwest, um Western Australia was that something that they taught you in school or you found that out kind of on your own
1: I found out because I was asking questions Mm. particularly um, yeah just going to some towns again just would look around and I didn't understand like why it was so white essentially it wasn't really from a young age it wasn't something that I was so used to seeing and um, then digging a little bit further and hearing about you know massacres that had happened on certain lands and that those areas were particularly like kind of unholy like some communities mm. won't even step foot in there. Um, and that shocked me so deeply. Um, and it made me think that I really yearned to, like, leave that place and, and find deeper connection back with the community where I grew up. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. So did you leave that place?
1: I did leave that place yeah. because <laughs> I am here, yes. Uh, so I, I moved to Fremantle, mm-hmm. which is the port. It's a port area in Perth and I did my architecture studies there, mm-hmm. which was definitely my entry into design. I realised at the end that it wasn't particularly what I wanted to do. I think that the, the, profession, the profession was sold to me as being something like super, uh, super, super creative, but then getting into it, I realised there's, you know, BCA codes and there's mm. a lot of bureaucracy and I kind of by the end didn't really like love the profession so much, but what I did gain out of it was drawing skills and learning how to kind of imagine and create spaces which led to what i'm doing now for sure
0: yeah gotcha interesting to hear you say that as well because obviously recording from an architecture firm mm. i feel like when i came in here i was very intrigued by the concept of architecture but it is kind of like being a glorified engineer i yes. feel unless you can like be a highly concept driven person like zaha hadid so
1: yes absolutely zaha yeah. hadid, my mm. gosh queen
0: Yeah, literally. (laughs) But so I'm interested in those skills that you got from Mm. working in architecture because I know in my experience here, everyone is very good at using Adobe Suite, Mm. using Rhino, using Revit. Did that kind of... So that gave you graphic design skills, but also did that... Did you ever do any kind of like VJing or anything like that? Because I know that's kind of a... For some people I know who have a backing in architecture, they get into VJing as well through doing that.
1: Yeah, well, that's actually... I did a bit of that after the degree. So when I finished the architecture undergrad and realised I absolutely don't want to do this, Mm. I naturally yeeted off out of Australia and spent some time, you know, travelling and discovering. Uh, And I saw this master's degree in Germany. Uh, It was called a Master's of Media Spaces. And that was essentially like set design and digital installation and VJing and things like that. And I applied for the master's and got accepted and moved to Berlin a year later.
0: Wow! Yeah, and
1: I spent like two years there, uh, but I dropped out of the masters actually <laughs> after oh, yeah. six months, um, particularly because I, I felt like the uni was like a bit of a sham. Like mm. s- it seemed like they'd invested all this money in their advertising and sold this sort of dream of this course and then I got there and they didn't really know how to educate people. Um, and they had all this equipment and it was really like, yeah, jacked up with the money. But the the actual education experience was really low for me. Mm. So I decided to leave the course, which was really hard because I am like, I find it very difficult to quit things. I've gotten better at it now. Mm. <laughs> but it feels like an inherent failure. Like at the time. Good problem it, to have, I think, yeah. as an
0: inherent quitter. Yeah. yeah,
1: but no, but I think I ha- have learnings to have mm. there from that because you know, you don't want to stick with something that's not right for you because you're afraid to quit. Like, that's also, like, just suffering. Mm. Um, And it was probably the first time I had to really leave something that I, you know, I'd felt very proud when I moved over there and was accepted to do this thing and did the whole process of, like, telling everyone, this is going to be my life now. Yeah. And then it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be, and I quit, and then I was a bit lost. Um, How
0: old were you at this point?
1: I was – how old was I? I was, like, 22, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But yeah, I was sort of like in the big city of Berlin and my purpose had been taken away and I didn't really know what to do with myself. And then I decided to actually just like live my life for once, you Mm. know, like not have this really defined path in front of me, Um, which in a way kind of led me to graphic design because it's something that I'd like really rejected for a long time. It was always it felt like an innate skill that I had. But I think I had this idea fed to me from a really young age that, like, creative arts is, like, it's not a career. It's not a viable career. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I remember, like, having this, one of those, like, careers uh, interviews that you have at school. Like, Mm. I don't know if you had this, but, like, in your final year of year 12, they sort of look at all your marks and they break it all down and, like, this is what you should do the rest of your life. And I think because my parents are teachers, I really valued the opinion of – Educators, So I took that as law. Mm. And my top two subjects were chemistry and visual arts. And he sort of just completely disregarded <laughs> the visual arts thing. I was like, oh, chemistry, you should do medicine. Mm. And so I initially enrolled in medicine. Um, and then I did like a year of uh, – I did the gap year thing and, and work so I could actually, you know, pay for my lifestyle in the city. And I was working at this cafe with this psychotic um, – this boss she was hilarious her name was Joan and she was Irish and she was just really manic but so interesting and so creative and she was always complaining about the walls being really bare Mm. Uh, and I said to her one time I was like I I can paint something you know like it's not going to be great but I can put something on the walls and so she gave me a week off work to do this, mm. and which was really kind of her. And she was like, go on, like, take a week off and, and paint something for the walls. And so I came up with a few paintings, now they were kind of like seascape, like, you know, mm. beachy vibe things, because at that point I was still living in that kind of uh area wait so
0: was this in berlin or this is back in western australia sorry
1: this is back in western australia this is yep. like in my gap year
0: oh uh, okay so yeah yeah
1: yeah so this was when i was just earning money to mm. yeah to essentially move to the city and do at the time what i'd enrolled in which was medicine yeah and then uh i did all these paintings and she put she put them up on the wall and i wasn't going to price them because i never wanted to sell my art ever and in the night she came in and put all these ridiculous price tags on <laughs> like $800, $600, whatever and then within a week they were all sold
0: whoa yeah, yeah.
1: and it was the first time that I realised that maybe I wanted to do something creative because it was the first time I ever saw like a return from yeah, something creative yeah. and, and it was kind of materialised in a way uh, so then I got online and like changed my course to architecture because it felt like a good intersection of like something creative and something still like logistical and, and pragmatic Yeah. Um, and yeah and I did the architecture degree but it still wasn't quite enough like creativity for mm. me in a way and then yeah that led on to going and doing the master's degree in Berlin which again wasn't quite right and then I was just kind of bumming around in Berlin for ages mm. and became a graphic designer out of survival because i was earning like an unlivable wage mm. uh being a chef in this cafe and when i say chef i mean like putting things on toast
0: mm. like i wasn't
1: <laughs> i wasn't actually cooking anything uh and i had all these friends you know starting up businesses needing logos but couldn't actually pay a proper designer and i was like hey like i i can use adobe i know mm. how to do this stuff and that's sort of how it started was just taking on these little projects and at the time I thought it was the coolest thing ever that someone wanted to give me like a hundred bucks to make a logo mm. I now realise that is like a gross underpay <laughs> of a service like that but at the time it was like I cannot believe you want to give me a hundred dollars to make something on my computer like and design something it was mm. just like mind blowing to me uh, and it. I think it was like a very slow process of me realising I, if I really leaned into this I could actually do something with it and then, yeah, it's kind of, like, landed me here now.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's super... It's very interesting, um, I guess, like, the perception of creative industry as, like, something where you can't earn a living wage, but especially graphic design is an intriguing concept to me mm. because I feel like... Um, you know, non-creative industries operate so much in the realm of like billable hours and stuff like that. Mm. But with graphic design, if you have a good reputation and you build a logo, you're not just selling your labor, but you're actually selling it. It's like how models are perceived to be overpaid, but it's like this idea and concept that can go way beyond just the delivery itself yeah so yeah yeah Yeah. and
1: it's the you particularly with logos and this is something that I had to learn through working in the profession and like doing very brief study which I also dropped out of haha (laughs) Um, but I you know learning that there's value in the rights to things as well so there's like the labor and then there's the usage but then if someone actually wants to purchase the rights of that design just because someone commissions you something to do it doesn't mean that they own it Mm. and I think that more people more young designers need to learn the value of the rights to their work and it's something that they really need to detail in you know in their invoicing and things like that but everyone's so like hush hush about particularly invoicing trying to get like direct information about what is the cost of something how should you how should you value your work for some reason people don't like to talk about it so much and Mm. it's so valuable. I had a really great lecturer um, named Eliza who was very transparent about those things and I think it helped me so much in turn later down the track not get Sort of like ripped off by people. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why it's so taboo. Money is such a weird thing. People don't want to talk about it.
0: People are weird about it. So weird I know. about it. Yeah. I don't,
1: I, like, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think people are so funny about their money? Uh,
0: I don't know. That's the thing because I feel like I, um, I'm intrigued and I'm always like, I always like to know what people are making because I compare mm. it to myself and stuff like that. But I'm also from a family where we discuss money a lot in the mm. sense of like, yeah just like what's going on and like buying shares and you know it's a privilege to have a parent who is financially like my dad was a business owner so Mm. he knew how to how all that worked and it was very important for him to teach me that so for me I'm always intrigued and I always want to know like the figures and how everything operates but I think it's just kind of like a cultural thing that Mm. money is like it's not classy to talk about it but I think it's also like it's become a mechanism for the long term for people for people to keep people in disadvantaged positions yes, because that's yes. the thing like you know if i yeah, some people might think that they're just as well off as the person they're working next to, but they have never tried to apply for a raise, so that person could easily be earning $30,000 more than them. More, more than them. It's advantageous Absolutely. for the business to keep them in the dark.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there are def- there are clauses in many of our contracts that you actually can't discuss those things with your co-workers. And I do think about that and how it only really benefits...
0: The business. The business, mm. which, you
1: know, it's a hard thing to swallow. And I think that... Um, yeah it's such a like a, it's so i talk i talk about this concept a lot with people and like the the taboo of discussing money but it's like it's so it's also something that kind of it levels us all and it's it's a shared experience that we all mm. have like how our money in impacts like our you know our standard of living and etc and and why would we not like share knowledge around that and yeah, yeah, I, I think
0: it's very interesting. Like, I'm so not the kind of person to say this, but I think it is also like a product of a capitalist individualist mm. society because the thing is, we're always like racing against each other. So we worry yeah. that by revealing ourselves to other people, we risk being put down a bit. So, yeah, I think it's a result of like the modern context and mm. how businesses are structured because ultimately, if people didn't have these businesses, in pl- didn't have these clauses in place, it would definitely impact profitability and maybe mm. make a business that is viable unviable. Absolutely. But, yeah. but I do actually want to return quickly to um, you talking about the importance of like knowing rights and all that kind of thing and invoicing. Do you think you could give me a hypothetical rundown if you're a freelancer who's delivering a logo, how that works with invoicing and the rights and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So uh, like the context of the business is really important. So and, and the way that they plan to use that logo. And if they want to, particularly if If you create a logo for someone and, for example, they don't uh, own the rights to the logo and then they go and print that logo on 10,000 T-shirts and sell it for X amount of dollars, Mm. like, you can be eligible to be compensated for that money. That big sum, you, you can put, like, quite a high premium on selling the rights to your design and the reason is so that they can use it for any purpose that they see fit, whereas, like, when you just do a logo for commission for someone you still own the rights to that logo because it should be detailed to you like what is the intention Mm. behind the usage of this and there is value in that particularly you know you hear those stories about you know apparently like the nike logo which you see everywhere it's on so much apparel all over the world i think it's nike you know apparently the artists only get paid like a 100 bucks to to do Mm. it and think about how it's used now and they and they sell you know, they sell items and clothing where all it is is that tick. Hmm. And so you have to think about that as like very defined choices by a creative person that they continue to profit off that that person does not. And it's, you know, it's not really right. And I think when, you, when it's not considered in the early days, a lot of creatives lose out on really getting the full value out of the work that they do. And some, you know, to the untrained eye or someone who's not a creative, they might look at something like that and think, oh, it's just a tick, but it's not. It's mm. not just a tick. It's so... There's so many informed choices. It's someone's it's someone's idea, and it's an idea that they can't have again. They yeah. can never use something like that. And, they, you know, there are probably also contractually things saying that they can't create anything even minutely similar for other brands so it also like can choke hold creatives as well to an extent um and i think it's like you know it's so important for that to be communicated to to young designers that they understand that and don't you know get a bit rinsed in their in their early days which i think happens all too much
0: yeah it definitely happens a lot i feel because that's the thing especially if you're a starry-eyed young person you mm. don't actually read the paperwork and you let yourself get Rinsed. It's Yeah, it's always interesting hearing like, you know, because you can have all the creativity in the world, but if you don't have that business acumen and you don't have like the legislative understanding of mm. everything, you can get pwned. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is, yeah. And so I'm interested in going back for a second. Just So the rights to using a logo. So when you deli- when you if you got commissioned to deliver a logo to someone and they said, we want to use it for this hat, it's okay for that hat, but then it's not okay to be used on other stuff. Is that kind of how it works if someone were to commission you?
1: Yeah. It's not like a really, it, there are a lot of gray areas with it. Um, it also depends on whether or not you choose to pursue that. So, you know, like you can design a logo for someone and they might decide behind the lines for years later to go and, you know, print that on apparel or do whatever they want. There's only really going to be a like a case of action if you do something about mm. it. Um but yeah, like technically they can't whatever the intention is behind using that logo, it does need to be briefed and expressed to the designer mm-hmm. because again like they don't they don't own the design. They own like that they they they've paid the labor for you to create it, but they they don't have the rights to it. Yeah. Um and yeah, that's something that needs to be bought and really like people should put a premium on that because mm. it's your it's your ideas. They you'll never be able to use them again. And there is, I won't say that there there is no limit to the great ideas that someone can have, but there are definitely some really great ones in your life
0: that you can't replicate. That you can't replicate, yeah.
1: and you know people deserve to be paid out for that. Hundred percent. It's,
0: it's really interesting to hear this because I think um, hearing friends who've talked about like going to agencies and stuff, and often the branding and advertising is the most expensive part of it. Mm. Like I think just hearing people who spend like three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars on brand design. So is that is what they're paying for there? It's actually quite different from the labor they're paying for the rights and like the full usage of that
1: absolutely and when they're going to an agency there is a lot more protection there for creatives uh, because they are very well hearse with how it all works and Mm. contracts and rights and etc so there are people there who it's their job to protect those creatives who are a part of their agency and they will put fees very large fees on those services to make sure that you are being completely compensated for all the choices and the creative and the decisions that you make which is great and that is the benefit of working with an agency I've personally I've always freelanced and then I started working in-house untitled I've never had the experience of um, being represented by an agency I would like to one day because I feel like there's so much learning in there you know like that's their shtick they know how to get what get what they're
0: kind of like creative deserve. facilitation exactly, or something like that exactly yeah. yeah and I
1: have I also myself have a lot of questions I would not describe myself as a um an expert in this I've only really been professionally practising Graphic design for probably the last, I would say, four years. I've only just started working in-house in the last two and a half. So it's been a really exponential Mm. growth for me in this field. And I'm learning so much on the go, which is great. But, um, yeah, still definitely on my end. I have so many questions about things like that
0: Mm. often yeah gotcha so take me back to (laughs) well I'm like "Mm," I'm just trying to think of like the um, person who I know who can like help you with that but I feel like I don't I haven't got them on this show yet but the time (laughs) will come but yeah it's interesting to hear I think um, the desire to work with a creative industry with a creative agency Mm -hmm. as well because I think um, recently my friend Michaela Stafford was signed to a creative agency I know that for her I've worked with her she's great she's amazing and it was kind of like it seemed like it was a relief for her it's like you can take off Yes, you're able to focus on the creativity because all of that other stuff is kind of like being handled by them which is yeah. cool
1: they're like they're your logistical bodyguards really mm. and it takes out I, like all the things that I absolutely hate doing Yeah, and they're again you know they're the experts they deal with this all the time and it's in their best interest to you know do the best by you because in turn you know i presume the way it works is they get sort of some commission off whatever they however they rent you out Mm. if if that's a great way to put it on yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're literally creative pimps which we love um and yeah they just they take all the the things out of it that i don't really want to do personally um yeah i'd actually love to chat to her about that we both worked together last year on um the Beyond the Valley campaign. She did the 3D direction for that, which was really fantastic to work with her because I met her when I just moved to Melbourne. I went, she was selling some prints at the old house, like Mm. an open house thing. And I just moved there. At that point, like I was uh, doing this graphic design course at RMIT. Wasn't quite like loving it. I felt like I sort of, this sounds, I mean no ego here, but I felt like I knew it, already knew it all. Like I was kind of paying this exorbitant price to study somewhere and I didn't I didn't feel like I needed to do it uh but I felt like I needed it to get the job was this
0: was this following on from having kind of garnered an interest in graphic design in Berlin exactly so that was what came next exactly Yeah.
1: yeah so I started to you know flirt with the idea of actually doing this as a profession and then the pandemic hit, and I moved back to Australia. And then you know I was like, this is a good time for me to lean into this. Mm. And I started studying at RMIT online and, at the time, or uh, yeah, it started online, and then I got to go in uh, on campus. Um, was doing that for a bit. Around this time, I went to this uh, this opening house. I met I met Michaela Stafford, and I was kind of a bit. Um, starstruck in away because I loved her work I'd been following her work online and I was like so excited to meet her just serendipitously at this mm. event and I said to her I was like you know what? I would really love to work with you someday and I hope that that comes to fruition fast forward two years later I'm creative directing Beyond the Valley mm. and get to commission her and just even reflecting on that and how much had changed like in that time was really insane for me Um, And we often bump into each other a lot at parties and, you know, they're just like, go you. You know, Mm. that sort of like mutual um, admiration is like a really beautiful thing and something that I experience a lot in Melbourne, which I think is really like why I love living here. I think it's such a fruitful place for creatives and I haven't really had that experience yet of people trying to... You know, run the race.
0: Yeah, very positive creative culture, I think, yes. of like uplifting and overall abundance, which is good. Yeah. yeah, and very important. And I'm interested in, like, I guess because the contrast is quite big between you enrolling and thinking it might be something you're interested in studying at RMIT to two years later, creative directing Beyond the Valley, which is one of probably the biggest festivals in <laughs> Australia. What was the pipeline yeah, between I, those two points?
1: I feel like I definitely need to get into that. And that's why it sounds like I'm being really jumpy with the story, but it Literally, it all happened so quickly. Mm. So I was, yeah, I came back, started studying at RMIT and I was doing, at the time I was doing some club flyers. I started to work more and more in music related design. Mm. I was doing like all these club flyers for this great promoter in Perth called Turnt Tables, which was run by two of my friends from high school. And I was doing, yeah, so I was doing all these like kind of ravey fun club flyers, and that started to really get my juices flowing with the kind of design that I wanted to do. I just loved that techie Mm. aesthetic and all this really um, abstract display typography, very very concept heavy, really dark. Like it felt really right to be doing stuff like that. And, um, I think like some of the artwork had caught the attention of Phil Palermo, who's one of the amazing directors at Untitled. King. Also big king, big <laughs> great, amazing boss, amazing friend, a big shout out to him. Um, but I had started doing these club flyers and turntables were buying some artists from Untitled and they were doing some shows in WA. So I think that's how the crossover started happening as they noticed that I was doing this artwork for this event in Perth that their artists were playing at. And he literally just DM'd me on Instagram one day. Mm. And this was was actually at a turning point where I was like, do I keep doing this degree or not? Like, I feel Mm. like I have to do it to get the job, but I'm not, like, I'm not really learning that much. Yeah, and
0: you had the skills. Yeah,
1: I felt like I had the skills, but I was also really, I was like, is this my ego talking or do I really not need to be here? And so I got this DM on Instagram from Phil and I will admit, I let it sit because I didn't even know who he was. (laughs) I'd never even heard of Untitled Group because I was so new to Melbourne. And he was like, you know, hey, I think um, you know, there's a job coming up with us. You should you should apply. You should really should apply. I think mm. we'd like be a good fit. And then I just sort of looked at it and I was like, oh, who is this Phil guy? Like I'll I'll get, <laughs> I'll get back to this in a few days. <laughs> and then the yeah, like after the weekend, I like went on his Instagram and then, you know, it said oh, director of untitled group. And then I clicked untitled group and was like,
0: you're like, shit, he's the man. I, no, yeah.
1: he is the man. <laughs> and I was a big fan of Pitch. Mm. Um, I had never been at that point, but I'd heard about it a lot in when I was living in Germany from friends who were from Melbourne who were, like, flying back to go to Pitch. Mm. Uh, and I always thought the creative direction, all the CGI work was, like, totally inspiring and amazing. Mm. So I saw that, you know, they ran Pitch and they ran Beyond the Valley and all these, like, really dope festivals. And I kind of went into shock. It was kind of that feeling of being like, I feel like something really big is about to happen if I don't mess it up. Mm. Uh, And so we did. I had an interview the next Monday and I had to do one of these like design challenges, which they said you don't, it wasn't compulsory, but it was very much encouraged to try and do the design challenge. Mm. Um, And it's interesting there. Some designers are very opposed to this concept of essentially doing a design brief to get a job. I'm not. Mm. I think it's a really good feeler for if I even want to do this work or if I have the capacity to perform under pressure in this kind of industry uh and so the the design brief was to do a flyer for wildlands and it was to do a couple of club flyers Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i had a bit a little bit less time i think to work on it than the other designers i think there was maybe like another eight that were in the running uh and i had to do it over a weekend and i did not sleep i just i wanted it so bad i was like i don't i will not sleep Mm -hmm. i will do whatever (sighs) it takes to get this job um and particularly with the Wildlands Festival, I had I did two concepts. One that was like a bit safe and more tailored to the original art direction, which was kind of these like watercolor tropical plants, and then something that was a complete diversion and it was more in my style, this kind of 3D axonometric illustrative world. And I sat there the morning of delivering the the my responses to the brief, and I had the two designs, and I looked at them, and one represented I can follow your brand, and one represented I can show you how it, your brand could look. Mm. And I was really torn because I think sometimes when you do a design challenge and you do something too uh outside of what they know it can it can kind of tell the employer this person's gonna be too hard to rein in yeah and it's, gonna, it's we're gonna spend a lot of time trying to steer you towards our aesthetic and it can kind of hurt you or it can show you them what you're capable of and so I decided to send them more like left of center design and they call me the first thing the next morning they're like at the time, I was working at an architecture studio and they were about to sign me on for a contract just mm. to work, like, permanent part-time. It wasn't anything crazy. Uh, and they called me first thing, being like, do not sign that contract and come work with us. And I was in complete shock, honestly. Like, I was still enrolled at RMIT. I was about to start my, next, uh, my second semester and I couldn't really believe it. And then they said, not only that, but the, the flyer that I did that second Wildlands flyer will be the creative direction next year. Whoa! So and, yeah. and it fully was that the, the mm. campaign that we just did last year, that was the fly I drew like a the year 2022 and a half ago. Campaign. Yeah, it was the f- yeah exactly twenty yeah twenty twenty two, which was really cool um, because that was almost didn't actually get sent across, and that was a full that was like a intuition thing as well, which I think is something that I always really push with. I guess any advice I give to someone is you, you should really trust your intuition, not just because that's your, that's your style and you, that's your aesthetic and that's what you feel, but that is the thing that's going to lead you all the way through your career. And if you don't trust it, you're not going to head in the direction that you need to be anyway. <laughs>
0: Yeah, wow. True. Well, that's it's interesting, and it's very. I feel like that's always the common theme with like people on here because that's the thing as well. Ultimately, following your intuition—it's the one thing that you can do only, and nobody else can replicate that. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's probably also quite vindicating and a great way to start like your chapter with a new employer is that they like back your vision so much, yeah. and to feel that they, yeah, they like back associating making your brand or your own personal flavour their brand, which is pretty – I think highlights your value to them as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I felt really, really fortunate at Untitled that they have in so many occasions really backed me considering that I had – I didn't really have this impressive resume to fall back on. I didn't really have a lot of – I had like a lot of this freelance work that I did for, you know, these smaller events but nothing to that scale and it really – I couldn't really believe it at the beginning that they were so trusting in me, particularly Phil. That guy has always been in my corner. And I always Mm. say to him, I'm like, dude, like (laughs) you're the best. (laughs) Why do you like, you know, you have, you seem to have always had this trust in me from the beginning, which I really, really appreciate. And it's a, it's a very mutual thing, which I think is really wonderful. Um, But yeah, I guess like from that point on, it was just really go, go, go. And then it was just jumping on all these different festival properties, learning about them and trying to not only, um, you know, create something that's in line with their brand, but also continue to elevate it. Because in my opinion, I think the work that's done on music festivals, because music and art is so entwined and so, um, you know, intrinsic to each other, I think that the creative work done on festivals is, in my opinion, the highest regard of design. Mm. You know, it should be. But at the same time, then you see a lot of really dated, there's this this really dated blueprint of music festivals as well. And there's kind of this, like, duality of people going really future and then people sort of living in this, I don't know, this world, this really old school um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: world. And I wonder if that is to do with trying to remain, pa- like, eclectic and palatable to...
0: The mainstream consumer. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like when you talk about that kind of duality, is the comparison that we're talking here maybe, for example, <laughs> hypothetically, like <laughs> Splendor in the Glass, in the grass to Pitch? Is that kind of what you mean?
1: Yeah, I mean those are different genres, mm. so I would more say Splendor in the Grass and Beyond the Valley. Yeah, because yeah. like you know, Pitch is very electronic, techno, and ma- pairing that with a really strong CGI direction makes so much sense. because yeah. it's very futuristic and kind of dystopian and brutal. And etc. But then, with Beyond the Valley and, and Splendor in the Grass, they're delivering very similar. Um vibes on the the lineup you know Mm. you've got your kind of your pop stars and your r&b and then your bands and you know some dance bookings as well uh so they're really speaking to a very similar audience and even looking creatively between those two festivals i think that what like beyond the valley is doing is no one else is doing that in that genre of festival which is and i feel very like privileged and excited to work on it but also that that trust has been put there because we and with this new campaign we it's so exciting I can't wait for it all to come into fruition uh, but we're really trying to continue to push the the blueprint of like what a festival can look like because it's been there is some very yeah it's I don't know people have been doing kind of the same things for years and years on end and I think it's time to start like growing with um, I don't want to say trends because it's not trends but it's like the way that we digest our information and particularly things like animation and motion design are becoming even more expected platforms like TikTok as well like you really need your festivals to speak through those mediums mm. because that's how you're reaching your audience.
0: Yeah, and it's only getting harder and harder to mm. sell tickets as well. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because I feel like, for me, I, the overarching theme is kind of like this more experiential spin of mm. what a festival could be. And I think that it kind of returns to something I was thinking about before as well is, like, potentially also why I feel was willing to take a chance on you is, like, the youthful dynamism of Untitled mm. and their understanding of that a festival can and needs to be more in the future to be something that it can be. And it's also, I think, kind of returns to the concept of vertical integration that they've got in the business because yes. with BTV and Pitch and all the untitled festivals it's kind of going full circle and it's coming from all the directions because it's like you know the TikTok and the marketing and everything yeah. is on point and also in my experience of other people who work there there's no kind of reserve for people's background in the sense of with you getting hired there as well as I think like you know I don't I'm not sure if you know like Charles Trainer who works for them and he seems to be some kind of like TikTok expert mm. who works there and it's like it's just selecting the people who are the best for the job and have like a really cutting edge vision which lead yes. things to be so you know irresistible because if you're if you're a melbourne punter like what are you going to go to i think and yeah it's just like so cool it looks so enticing mm. and that's why the growth is almost unstoppable
1: yeah for sure i also have noticed particularly with untitled's team like it's it's super young which i think is great like and people point that out a lot when they come into their office they're quite shocked it's very much like median age is probably like 20 Seven mm. I, I I feel like that's correct. I haven't crunched the numbers, but it feels like it's it's a very young office. And I think that what that brings, and I also think that it's it's young, and and the people that they've hired know what they're doing, but they don't have these resumes where they bring in this ego and this resistance to trying to do something new. And so I think that's what brings in a lot of the dynamism in Untitled because everyone is, and particularly I very much put myself in that basket of someone who was really given a chance. Like mm. if you looked at, if you had looked at my just my resume. Typically, you wouldn't actually do that with design because the portfolio is like the main element. But, Mm. you know, my resume, not that impressive. Like I was freelancing, did little bits and bobs here. I think the only thing that was, you know, maybe impressive or interesting about my resume is I was guesting in um, art festivals in Europe. But this was more for like mural based work, not Mm. so much graphic design. So I used to do like really large street pieces um, and guested in a couple of music festivals in Germany, which was um, super, super interesting. But I would say that was the only thing on my resume that was, like, kind of commendable. The rest was just, like, me freelancing, like, from X date to Mm. this date and, you know, no, like, I had no one, no reference for that.
0: Yeah. And what is getting guested at a music festival?
1: So I uh I went to two. I was invited to paint at two festivals kind of similar to Pitch Music and Arts how we have a yeah. a music program and an arts program um the first festival was called 7001 and it was a techno festival that was in an abandoned military bunker in uh in rural Germany it was Sick. actually really cool yeah. so they um basically what they did is they uh yeah they had this it, it was it was a small event it was probably about like I want to say like 5,000 people maybe more. Um, A lot of deep, heavy, techno-gabber, like dark shit, but Mm. like fun shit. Um, And they had, in the site, there was this abandoned kindergarten, and they did this thing called the Kita Project, and Kita is what Germans call kindergarten, it's kind of Mm. like a slang word. And there were maybe 24 rooms in there, and they gave a room, they, they painted the whole building white, and they gave a room to a bunch of artists from around Europe. And I was in one of those rooms, and so you had i can't remember how long it was maybe four days to create your art piece and not all of them were painted mine was a mural that's uh this like 3d mc escher kind of style mural that wrapped around all the walls in the room but some of them were light pieces and sort of vhs Mm. weird like techie installations installations and yeah like you could do whatever you wanted in the space um and then, you, yeah, you had four days to create your artwork and then you just went and partied for, like, a week. So that was really cool. The second one, uh, which was called Ibug which was in uh, Reichenbach, which is near Chemnitz, which is, like, a another outer city and Germany this was an arts focused festival and this was one that was you know it was maybe a, a little bit more prestigious and this was very much geared towards having a large lineup of international artists so we had artists from Korea and France and Argentina and literally all over the world come and paint down an abandoned railway depot in this area so it was this very decrepit stunning old yeah railway depot. Uh, and this was very much focused towards painting. There were a few sculptures, I think, and we had a week there and we built this whole community in this abandoned site. We painted down the site, we're having these like beautiful dinners together, learning about each other, and then the next week they invited, they sold tickets and invited the whole community in the area and people drove from Berlin and all over Germany to go and visit this site and you essentially just walked around and, and looked at all the artwork. Whoa,
0: yeah, yeah, it was really Amazing. really cool. Cool, yeah, you'll have to send me some photos of this. Yeah. I'm interested to see.
1: Um, yeah, I actually have quite a funny story about that event. Um, can
0: I talk about drugs? Yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure. You can talk about drugs.
1: <laughs> um, so, basically I I did my art piece. It was a pretty strenuous... It was a very strenuous week because I was painting very, very high walls uh, and it was just a lot of up and down the ladder. Like, my body was absolutely, like, riddled in dust and pain (laughs) by the end. Um, And I had some friends come from Berlin to come and see the festival and they decided to bring some acid, which I thought would be great. Like, the perfect place to, like, take a tab, run Mm. around this, like, you know, artsy railway depot for a a few nights and we camped there as well uh and so I'd done all the work and I was really excited to just like chill out and hang out and have a good time and I took this tab of acid and then this man came up to me, this German man, and he was a reporter and he was like, hey, you're ready to do your interview now. Can You like come into your room. And I was not told by anyone that I was doing any kind of interview. And apparently they'd done this whole roster and I was just starting to come up and was feeling oh, like I was no. absolutely wigging. Yeah. And I had never been in front of a camera like that. Like the light was so bright. And so I begged them. I was like, please don't. I was like, can I just go later? Like, do I have to do this now? And for some reason I had to do it that time because the light was only going to hit my room Mm. at that time and all the artwork was just – yeah, it was in, like, the perfect time and place to do it. And so I just looked at my friends and I was like, I guess I I have to do this. Uh And so I walked into the room and I was sitting on the chair and I looked at the walls and suddenly, like, all the, like, walls started moving and they Uh, were, like, hairy. And they were, like – and also my art was there. So all the art started really, like – yeah becoming very uh interactive and then they were asking me this really political stuff about my artwork and I need to say my art is not political mm. my art is very aesthetic and I have like no shame about that and so they were ask me about the you know the the intersection of like politics and art and my work and I just didn't know what to say and I didn't want to bullshit and try and make up some meaning to it and I just said I was like I don't like this is not a political piece this just Mm. looks cool (laughs) and then they were asking about like the wider landscape of art and politics and i just could not piece a sentence together like i was trying i just kept looking i was blinded by the light anyway i somehow got through this interview and i walked out to my friend and i said that that was probably one of the most traumatic things i've ever had to go through on a trip and then i watched i did watch the youtube clip later 'Cause it got fully published, um, and and released. And I I don't think I looked I don't think if you told anyone I looked high, the only thing that was kind of strange is my hands. I was just doing this windmill with my hands and my eyes were sort of darting around. But I think like to the naked eye, you wouldn't have told that I was absolutely tripping on acid so yeah that was a bit of an unfortunate timing but also quite funny and immortalized in the internet as well.
0: (laughs) So out of interest by the way with these guest spots that you got at these two festivals how did you go about acquiring these?
1: Uh, Both I applied for they did call outs um, and there was a selection process I think with the 7001 it wasn't a very rigorous selection process because it was a small festival. Uh they were just really keen to get anyone in there and do it and I could tell by the just the art pieces it's a bit more low-fi and not so much infrastructure, but the iBug festival was definitely um yeah, they, they had a big um submission process, kind of like portfolio, big portfolio and, uh, thing yeah. um and they interviewed you and there was yeah, there was a bit of a process there and it it made sense because the art was very much sorry, the festival was very much geared around the art. Whereas mm. with Seven Zero One it was, was a, a company, munted man. techno festival and there just happened to be some art yeah. there. That was really cool. So <laughs> bug was definitely a bit more of a a grind to to get in, but yeah, they like selected me, which was really great and such an amazing experience. I just got to meet the most incredible people and and watch them paint and create and ask some questions. And that week when we were all alone together creating the art was definitely my favorite part of the of the festival because it's just mm. really cool when you take like your lunch break and walk around and someone's doing this like twenty meter high insane mural the, the, the really large scale scale murals are the things that impress me the most. I just don't understand how people don't get totally lost in the scale of it. Yeah. Like the stuff for me is probably a bit like it's it's abstract, but I would say that it's still very it feels like a very like one to one scale for mm. me. Whereas those really, really large scale, hyper realistic murals, I just to this day, I don't understand how it's incredible. It's, it's definitely amazing. a
0: certain kind of person who can like make a beautiful thing on a cherry picker. It's, yeah, yes. yeah. I think you have to have some kind of mind that like operates yeah, in a way. I know.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. So, so impressive.
0: Mm. So, returning to the hire at the dream job yes, at Untitled. <laughs> yes. Yeah. on such a No, no, there. no. I like the tangent that <laughs> tangentiality. Um, but so when you were hired there, was mm. that so that was the role as graphic designer that you were hired in?
1: Yeah. I was hired as graphic designer and I actually. I didn't realise that I was going to be the whole team. Mm. I thought that there surely must have been some kind of senior designer. I didn't even really understand what the structure of working in-house as a designer looked like because I'd never done it before. So I How long
0: ago was this that you got hired? The-
1: it was two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. I think. God, Yeah, something. J- June, July. No, two. Yeah, anyway, doesn't matter. Minor mm. details. Um, yeah, so I was hired and then I got into the office and realised that it was just me Mm. (laughs) and actually the first two projects that I worked on I totally bombed I thought I was gonna get fired not because of any bad vibes in the office but because I feel like I really bombed the first two projects I got there and it was my first entry into working in-house and it was like just there was a lot going on Mm. um and I had a real freak out in the beginning but it all sort of panned out fine in the end um, and Phil was like well the whole team was like very supportive I was low-key spiraling mm. <laughs> and also I think I've been fed this really false sense of confidence in how it worked to receive a brief from a client, i.e. You know, Untitled is observed as my client because mm. I'm doing the work for them. But receiving a brief and then that whole feedback process because previously when I'd done all of this work for turntables, I, they would just look at the art and say, it's perfect, signed off. Mm. Like there was no revision. And I got fed this idea that that's how it worked.
0: Yeah. And
1: then moving to Untitled where there are many chains of review and command because we've got the marketing team which have a lot of influence on design because they have to, you know, market this product or this event. And then we've got the directors and, you know, there's a, there's a there was more of a hierarchy mm-hmm. existing there that I wasn't familiar with. And, yeah, even just learning how to receive feedback and critique was something that I was having to learn very quickly in the beginning. Um, and I'm definitely, yeah, I think it's really helped me grow as a creative and a designer as well because before I was very much living and creating in the echo chamber of my own thoughts and ideas and subjectivity, Uh, And now I have to sort of weed through when receiving feedback, you know, what is someone's subjectivity and what is right for what is the right decision for a brand Mm. or, you know, particularly when it's that nitty gritty thing of like, I don't like this color or, you know, whatever kind of unpacking. Why is that, though? Like, what happened to you and that color? You know, It's, it's interesting to try and decipher making decisions like that.
0: Yeah. So not even like just not even just dealing with the feedback, but being able to critically assess feedback separate to your ego and being able to like help kind of like have a conversation with the person who's delivering it on how to make the best product overall. Pretty
1: much. Yeah. Mm. And I'm getting I think I'm finding more of my voice in that as well, because when I I think when I first started working on Titled, I was very much just wanting to. Deliver, yeah, and like deliver something good and something that was approved because I was so new to this, you know, more granular critique process. And so if if I was given a certain kind of feedback, I wouldn't really challenge it so much in the beginning. It would just be like, yes, okay, cool, I'll mm. I'll fix it, I'll change it. But now because I'm moving um, more in this um, art direction, creative direction role, where I'm really having to make a lot more of these top-line decisions about what direction is our brand heading in and having those discussions with directors or, you know, people sort of higher in the in the chain of uh, marketing. And if we are disagreeing on something, it's sort of having that voice and trying to understand, well, why, you know, why do you view it this way and, and what is the right decision? And it is difficult, like, trying to decipher... Yeah, essentially that line between subjectivity and, and objectivity in art. Because it's very hard to be objective about art.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear this like kind of like creative negotiation that occurs when you're doing art direction and creative direction because i feel like it's not really something that i've heard before and that method of like yeah not just taking feedback and altering it but actually assessing going hey i wonder why you actually think that and if you don't just not like this purple but you would like it if it was shifted in this way tonally Mm. it's yeah interesting so you feel like you've gained a lot more of those kind of like creative leadership skills since working at untitled
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I've and now that I, um, you know, our team's grown and I'm very fortunate now to work with Sam Hayes, shout out, who is an incredible designer that uh, we hired last year. And now I get to collaborate with him, which is also something that was totally new to me and it was something Mm. I craved so deeply and it was something that I was mentioning all the time that I think that I'm really – what I'm missing right now, I have this amazing job, amazing opportunity, but I I have no mentorship. Mm. And I sort of chose to, you know, give that up when I stopped studying because you you lose that connection with – you know your lectures and and etc um and I was working on these really high profile projects and the output was great but I wasn't the I craved mentorship more than anything so mm. and now I have this really great relationship with my colleague Sam and we we very much like yeah it's a lot of sharing and we our skills are extremely complementary which is also great so I'm a highly skilled art director and and illustrator and he's really great with 3D design and typography so our skills combined are it's fire yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is great (laughs)
0: yeah how great to be able to build something together as well Mm. I think for me like as someone who kind of just does this but hasn't done a bunch of creative stuff in the past, I feel like that camaraderie and creative relationship to me is one of the most beautiful things that I'm so envious of with people who not just in creative partnerships like this but, like, they're in bands and stuff like that and being able to complement each other and create work that's so much more distilled and pure than you could on your own. Like, what more can you ask for? I
1: know, I know. And I felt like I kind of had this feeling, you know, when a kid that's a single child really wants a sibling so bad and they want to have that bond with someone? I was feeling like that with a career creative collaborator I just didn't really have it and then when we brought Sam on it just felt like a really it just clicked yeah it just really clicked Um, and it's actually changed so much about my my relationship with my work and and my own creativity as well and having there's that mutual respect there is just um, it's only really elevated I think the work that we've both been putting out which is super exciting
0: Mm, yeah amazing Mm. amazing and yeah so I guess it's all been like flowers and roses thus far (laughs) but I think it's also important to acknowledge that like working in the music industry working in a creative industry it's super high impact and there's Mm. a lot of demand I'm interested in what the biggest challenges were when you came on it Untitled and what the biggest challenges have been in adjusting to working in this space?
1: Yeah, so I think last year was really hard for us because coming off the back of a a pandemic and Untitled really did not take their foot off the gas, which I think was uh, a big risk but really paid off for them, particularly in 2021 where most festivals decided to just can running an event that year we were working ahead as if it would happen with actually no reassurance from mm. um health authorities that you know we would open up and would be able to have an event and we ended up being able to do that at the end where i think we're one of the only ones that had a uh, festival in 2021 in australia don't quote me on that which one. festival was that it was beyond the city so it was the we did like this city edition of beyond the valley because uh, we couldn't do the full yeah. camping one uh which was really successful but yeah, quite stressful because we didn't know where, like, you know, spend this year working on something with no guarantee that it would actually um, mm. go go ahead. And I think the year that followed that, um, having such losses in the entertainment industry meant that everyone was working twice as hard to try and build back, you know, build back, strength within the company. And I think last year it led to a lot of burnout, particularly in my case, like, being working as the only designer. I was working across, like, six festivals mm. alone uh, and that was a lot, and that's and,
0: relentless delivery, isn't it? Because it's not yeah. just making a poster; it's no, like making a no, no, merch, no. and
1: it's yeah, it's so so many things. Like you 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 have this full creative process early in the year where you're coming up with the direction, and then you have you know it's not just like the poster, the lineup flyer. It's like all the little artist tiles, and you know when someone the ticket scarcity stuff. When it's like you know this many days to go, these are all these. Um, preconceived like templates that are made and it all has to be very cohesive and this like greater identity and then you have merchandising, you have on-site creative, you have all the advertising, like it's, it's, it's so, so much and it was a lot for one person mm. and so I think the hardest thing uh, was just a bit of the burnout last year but luckily for me, Untitled really responded to that when I just, I said, I actually can't do this on my own anymore and I really need help and then we brought on Sam and it just sort of changed everything for me. Um, and it's been great now. <laughs> mm. um, so, yeah, I think the burnout was pretty tough. And also, I think working across so many different festivals, it was really hard to sometimes not let some ideas like bleed into each other, even though they're really different vibes, like Grapevine, Wildlands, Pitch, Beyond the Valley. They're, what they're offering from a lineup point of view and experience is really different. But when you've only really got one brain to think across you know six different festivals six different festivals sometimes I would I would notice that yeah maybe some ideas were bleeding into each other and there were some similarities and trying to like stop those in their tracks and make sure that everything was really independent from each other because it's all coming from Untitled's brand so it's something that we have to be really conscious and aware of you're not only making sure that you're not similar to other festivals in your creative direction but also your internal brands as well and once you stack all those things up next to each other there's it's actually been yeah like quite tricky this year we'll like come up with an identity and be like oh crap but like Splendour has that colour and then oh shit like two years ago we did that for Beyond the Valley and yeah Mm. it's like a a bit of like a guess and check process of what hasn't been done before Um, but yeah we're getting there it's looking it's looking really cute
0: yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out this year. And I think the the interesting thing that I'm just realising now is because also one of the most intriguing things about working as a creative full-time as a graphic designer is, like, you're not only giving your labour delivery, but it's also the creative delivery and how exhausting it is to create six completely different concepts that are actually quite restrictive in the sense that you can't make it like anything mm. else that has come before. So... Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. yeah it can... Even, like, uh, thinking about colour and you know like there's you have this full spectrum of color but then within those color values like blues and and you know whatever you want to run with that year you do have to like we have this process where we sit with a swatch and we just like pair it up with every fly that we've done the last three years with every fly that this other festival's done the three years and you have to sit there and sometimes like one little thing will be too similar and then you have to sit like sit back and start all over again Mm. because people will come for you as well yeah (laughs) no truly like i've definitely had these experiences where like a couple of colors a little bit similar and Yeah, people feel like there's some foul play with Mm. like copywriting or whatever, but it's just sometimes it just happens by chance. It happens a lot in the creative industry as well, like just the coincidences of similarities in creative identities. And it's such a like nasty thing to have to deal with being accused of copying things when you haven't and lucky like nothing like that really dramatic has happened untitled but definitely in personal practice um Mm. have had that situations where it just so happens that you've made something and you know also picking up things subconsciously being inspired by things subconsciously can happen and being original in this day where you are consuming so much like visual media all the time you can have these crossovers and it's yeah it's 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 unavoidable but what I always recommend in that situation is having a sit down with whoever that creative is or that person that thinks that you might have taken a little bit too inspiration with what they've done and just explaining your whole process like how did you get there where did this idea come from instead of getting really defensive and and you know being like I didn't do that or you know how dare you whatever just just be a human and explain mm. like you know how you got there and if they're still not convinced then you know you can
0: Keep going. Yeah, Yeah. them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh. Well, George, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Final question for you. Yes. What's next that you're excited for?
1: Oh my gosh, like all the new festivals, Mm. (laughs) I think. um, Particularly like you work on a campaign for, you know, a year and you look at this – you, you know you look at this thing for so long and then being able to start off fresh and new is so exciting so we're really deep in the new beyond the valley direction and wildlands direction and sun cycle so i'm really excited to to launch them and um you know see everyone's response to it but yeah thank you so much for having me on it's been so nice to chat to you as always yes
0: love it cheers
1: cheers Ching. <laughs> <laughs>